open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. Uh, for those of you that are guests here, we are glad that you're here. I am one of the pastors. Uh, my name is Joel, and we are happy to have you this special morning. We'll look at a few passages, but we'll be in Acts chapter 6. I'll be the first big passage that we're together in. Uh, but first, let me remind you what Proverbs thirteen twelve says. It says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is the tree of life. And this principle is... Not a hard one to grasp. When you have a hope for something and it's blocked or it's deferred or it's postponed, your heart gets sick. You're disappointed. You're sad. You're longing for it. But when a desire is fulfilled, there is joy and there's life and there's happiness. And it's a principle of wisdom that we all know personally and we can also see it in the world around us. Uh, The Olympics or Winter Olympics are going to be happening soon. And when an Olympic athlete wins gold... All their hopes and dreams have come true in regards to the Olympics, right? All the time and energy and money that they've spent, it's finally paid off, and tears of joy stream down their face. But if somebody crashes during their Olympic event, uh, they don't finish the race, they can easily feel that their training was all wasted, all for nothing. Their hopes of winning a medal lost, disappointed, depression, sadness sets in. Now, none of, me, none of you, to my knowledge, are Olympic athletes, but we can understand that, and we've experienced that scenario in our life. We've all experienced this principle in real ways. When someone has a child who walks away from the Lord and runs to the world, there's much pain, there's tears shed. Some of you parents with younger kids uh, can only imagine, and your heart breaks, and it's one of your greatest fears that that would ever happen. But we've also seen when a wayward child returns to God, and the joy that that brings the family. When a couple miscarries and their hopes of finally being pregnant after so long seem dashed, the pain is unbearable. But when a couple who has been trying for years finally gets gets pregnant and gives birth to the precious baby, it's hard to find much greater joy in this life. When you think you'll be getting a promotion, but you're overlooked... It's depressing, but when you finally are rewarded for the hard work and efforts that you put in with a promotion and a raise, it's wonderful. Maybe a kid here, maybe one of you had a uh, present that you really wanted for Christmas and you didn't get it. Or maybe you got the very thing that you were hoping for and you were excited and jumping around through the house. I could go on, but it's not hard to think through scenarios in your life where either a hope or dream has been dashed or postponed or hasn't come as quickly as you wanted it. But for all of us, there have also been times when you've had a dream or hope come true or come to fruition, and you've experienced the joy that that can bring. Well, today, today in our church, we get to experience the joy of having a 10-year dream come true for our church. Today is a very special day in our church, as you've already heard, because today... We are going to install deacons for the first time in the history of Bloomington Bible Church. Ben Pogorels and Dave Hydes are the two men that God has sovereignly placed in our church to step into this role, and we are very thankful to God for them and for this opportunity. So as you hear this sermon this morning, don't lose sight of the reality that this is God answering prayers that we have prayed for 10 years. How many things have you prayed for for over a decade? These are special days. This is a special day this morning. And so today the sermon is going to be focused on deacons. What is a deacon? What do they do? What's required? What can we expect as a church? 
And then after my sermon, Lord willing, Josh will come and install these two men to the office of deacon. Now, depending on where you come from and what your background is, you may have vastly different thoughts about what a deacon is or isn't. Maybe for some of you, when you hear the word deacon, you think of a dear saint, a dear old saint in the church that you grew up with. Someone who served your your family faithfully for years, who you love. Maybe your experience with deacons is one of conflict. Maybe when you hear the word deacon, what comes to mind is men who fought about the budget in church business meetings. Some churches, they, they don't have an elder board, but they only have deacons and the pastor. So the deacons kind of function as sort of an elder board. Maybe that's where you came from. Some churches have deacons and elders, but they almost function in the same roles. And maybe for some of you, this idea of deacon is brand new to you. You've never heard that word. Whatever your context is, I hope to clear up any confusion about what deacons are, what they do, and how they'll function in our church. So for this, first this morning, we need to be clear, what is a deacon? If you read through your Bible, you may think that the word deacon isn't in the Bible very much. But it's actually in the Bible probably more than you realize. That's because oftentimes when you read the word in your English Bible, deacon, it's translated as servant. Matthew 23, 11 through 12, The greatest among you must be your servant or deacon. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Mark 9, And Jesus said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and deacon of all. If anyone deacons me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my deacon be also. If anyone deacons me, the Father will honor him. John 12, 26. Mark 10. For even the Son of Man came not to be deaconed, but to deacon and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word deacon simply can mean just servant. Someone who serves. So in a very broad sense... Well, every Christian is a sort of deacon. We're all called to be servants of Christ and to serve one another, but the scriptures also at times use a more narrow definition of deacon. And you can see that clearly in 1 Timothy 3 when Paul is discussing the qualifications for the office of elder and the office of deacon. And today we're focusing on that narrow sense of the word deacon, the office of deacon. And we believe that God has called Dave and Ben to this task. So generally speaking, as I've said, deacons are servants, and all Christians are deacons, but there is an office of deacon that only certain Christians are qualified for, and some are not. So what is this specific office? What is this role of deacon? What are they exactly? Well, before I answer that, let me give you some misconceptions about deacons. Here are some things that deacons are not, okay? They are not necessarily pastors in training or elders in training. Lots of times, people see a deacon as kind of like this elder in training. Maybe maybe they'll graduate up to an elder someday. Some denominations may even require you to be a deacon before moving on to the next stage of ministry. But a deacon isn't like wearing a floaty in the pool, and then once you swim, you can take them off to become become an elder or a pastor. You could have someone who's qualified to be an elder who would step into the role of a deacon. They're not necessarily 
somebody who's training for formal ministry as a pastor or an elder. Deacons are also not, uh, they're not somebody who's just good at fixing things. They're not your church handyman. Many churches have made men deacons because they're handy around the church, they're good around the church building. But just because somebody is handy does not mean that they're qualified to be a deacon. You could have a very successful contractor who runs a company and he's very gifted at running his business, but he's an infant in the faith and he's not qualified to be a deacon just because he's handy. Likewise, a deacon isn't just someone who's good with finances. The the accountant in your church isn't necessarily qualified to be a deacon. They may be able to use Microsoft Excel well, but if they don't know the first thing about the Bible or they're immature in their character, well, they're not qualified to be a deacon. And the same can be said of a a successful businessman, someone who manages a company of a 1,000 people, and he's a great CEO. That doesn't mean that he's fit to serve the church as a deacon or an elder. Also, Deacons do not exist to keep the elders or the pastors in check. That is not their role. Some of you may have come from churches where deacons and elders were always in conflict, arguing maybe about money or or what the next plan is going to be. Lots of times, uh, churches would have deacon boards which function slightly like a lesser elder board. Sadly, what often can happen in this church is they think, well, the elders are in charge of the spiritual aspects and the deacons are in charge of the physical things, so... Uh, The deacons take care of the budget, and that's often a recipe for conflict. As you've heard Josh say, preparing a budget for the church is a spiritual thing. It's not just a physical thing. The elders should be responsible for overseeing and setting the budget, or else the deacons and elders may end up constantly arguing about the finances should be handled. A deacon may be able to help in the process, but the elders are responsible And they're certainly not created to just be there to keep the elders in check or the pastors in check in how they spend their money. Also, finally, you may have come to a church that only has deacons. So deacons are essentially the elders of sorts. They're not pseudo-elders. That's not what a deacon is. Some traditions have more authority given to these deacons, these only deacons, Maybe an authority that's equal to the senior pastor, or maybe they have lesser authority and they serve with and under the senior pastor. Either way, the deacon is not a different name for an elder. It is a different role, as we'll see here in a bit. Now, anyone who has read their Bible must admit that the Bible does not speak to the office of deacon as much as it speaks to other things. But before you hear that and you think, well, then whatever you just say is your opinion, I did not say that the Bible says nothing about the office of deacon. The Bible sufficiently speaks on this topic. But why I say that is because we're not going to be snobs about what a deacon is and what a deacon isn't. I'll talk more about this in a moment. But we don't believe that having a deacon board is best, where all the deacons have the exact same role. We believe rather in a role-specific deacon. And that was what we believe best serves the church. But if you come from a church that has a deacon board, we're not saying that that's a heretical church and you need to leave that church and you shouldn't have ever been there. That's a very different thing than maybe a church that doesn't believe in the substitutionary atonement. We can have unity with brothers who have different thoughts on how deacons best serve the church. We're not going to be here to be snobs. But the wrong examples that I gave you about deacons are just some of what has happened 
throughout history. Some of those views are more recent in current history in our land, and some of those are hundreds of years old. Some traditions have wrongly elevated the role of deacon, and some have inflated it too much. While others have reduced the role, so that doesn't really have much substance. But both are errors that we want to avoid. Elders, as, you, as we've taught you before, they're in charge of the spiritual shepherding of the church. Now, that doesn't mean that an elder never cares for any physical needs. It just means that the primary care for, for an elder, the primary effort for an elder, is the spiritual health of the flock. Let me give you an example of what can happen when the elders and pastors of a church become consumed, not with the spiritual aspect, but with, consumed with the physical concerns of the flock. Pretend with me that there's a pastor of a relatively small church. He's, a, he's the only pastor on staff. Maybe the church is 100, 150 people. And they're planning a local Christmas outreach program with live animals. They're going to do a nativity scene. And at the last minute, four volunteers come down with COVID and they have to back out. And the pastor now needs to spend an hour making phone calls to find replacements. But not only will he have to make phone calls, he's now going to have to show up on Wednesday evening to spend an hour and a half with these new volunteers to explain exactly what they'll need to be doing. Also, on Sunday, the church's soundboard broke. So all Tuesday morning, the pastor is researching about the soundboards, and he spent four hours reading about the latest models, another hour on the phone with the local music store, and then a couple hours at the store, and he's still not confident that he's buying the right thing, but he spent too much time on this, and he needs to move on because Janet, a sweet 80-year-old widow who has been in the hospital for a couple months, has called the church and wonders if someone can come visit her. So the pastor needs to get over to the hospital before he heads home tonight. Also, he needs to make sure that he stops at Sam's Club sometime this week to buy food for the outreach that they're having. And longtime member Jeff has just called and told him that he was offered tickets to the local college basketball game this Friday, and so he's no longer going to be able to cook food for the outreach, and so now the pastor will have to cook the food as well. The pastor longs to meet with his people. He'd love to pray for his people more, but he hardly feels like he has any time. And when he does have time, he feels exhausted. He gets his sermons done when he's able to, but he constantly feels like he's giving C-minus, D-plus sermons because he only has a handful of hours to prepare them, and he's constantly tired at the end of the week when he's trying to prepare his sermon. Now, the reality is that's not an uncommon scenario for small church pastors in our land. It may be doable for a season. At times it may be necessary. But if continued for years and years and decades, the spiritual care of the church is likely to be overlooked. And any of you with kids, any parents in this room, know that when the physical needs of your family absorb all your time and you fail to give care to the spiritual health of your family, what happens? Does that go well for your kids? No, problems arise, discipline lacks, disobedience and whining and complaining grow, and it's not too much different in Christ's church. And so in Acts 6, we see a situation that's similar at play. Look at Acts 6 in verse 1. It's on the screen for you to follow around with if you don't have a Bible. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, 
a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to faith. So we see in verse 1, there's complaints coming from a group of people in the church, and they're not necessarily a bad complaint. The widows, their widows were being neglected. And so the twelve gather all the disciples together and say something that might sound strange to our modern ears. It is not right. In fact, it is wrong that we should be giving up preaching and the word of God to serve tables. So, what we should do is we should choose seven men of good, godly character who should oversee the serving of tables. And we'll step away from this act of serving tables so that we can devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It was actually wrong and unhelpful to the church for the twelve to spend their time serving the widows by serving them food. Now, that sentence on its own sounds strange to our evangelical ears because maybe you've subtly been taught that the, the caring for the poor is the highest form of piety. So the best pastors, they would be serving the tables and the widows all the time, but that's not correct. It was wrong for the twelve to be giving too much of their time to this task, and God had called these men to pray, to minister the words to the flock. They were most importantly charged with the spiritual needs of the flock, and every man is so limited in energy and time that to spend their time serving tables would rob and injure the flock because they would not have the proper time for prayer and for ministry of the word. And so they chose these men. These men who would serve the tables and make it their duty to see that the widows were not overlooked in order so that the twelve could devote themselves to prayer and to the word. And this is one of the primary distinctions of deacons. Matt Smelthurst says that deacons are the cavalry of servants deputized to execute the elders' vision by coordinating various ministries. Deacons, rightly understood and deployed, are an irreplaceable gift to Christ's church. They are, a model, they are model servants who excel in being attentive and responsive to tangible needs in the life of the church. Now, in what ways do they serve? By assisting the elders, guarding the ministry of the word, organizing service, caring for the needy, preserving unity, mobilizing ministry, and more. Those in the office of deacons are special servants of the church. They are under the authority and the direction of the elders so that the church can properly be cared for. Elders are incredibly valuable to a church. If you neglect the spiritual needs of the church, your church will die eventually. But there are real physical needs that exist in the life of the church, and God has given the church deacons to step into those spaces and be responsible for seeing that those needs are met. And you really have three 
main areas that deacons serve in. A church have, may have different names for them. They may divide them up a little differently. But virtually all churches have three areas that, churches, that deacons would serve in. You have facilities, you have finances, and you have benevolence. You have facilities to care for, benevolence, and finances. All of us know that if you have a house or you live in an apartment, weather doesn't matter. Pipes break. Somebody needs to make a phone call to the HVAC guy when the furnace goes down. The facility gets dirty. Chairs need set up. Children's ministry classrooms need attention. And God has given deacons to help. A church has tithes coming in. They should be faithful with the finances, but that takes time and energy. Tax forms need to be created. The church has many physical needs of love and the people that they care for. Widows need care for. The poor need help. A family needs help around, the, around their house because a long-term sickness has affected their household. It's not that a pastor or elder would never help in those things. Of course they would. But if a pastor or an elder were to give themselves to all those things all the time with the amount of attention that those things deserve, the ministry of prayer and the word would be neglected in the church. Deacons are an indispensable gift to our church. They really are. So church, you should feel, you really should feel that our church is going to head in a healthier direction because we are installing two men into the role of deacon. Our church will be blessed and helped by this. They will be incredibly helpful to allow the pastors and elders to focus on the spiritual needs of the church. And this has been a desire of our church for a decade and we finally have the right men for the job at the right time in our church's life. Where's Dave? There he is, right behind me. Dave and Ben, you have been called by God to be servants of the church in this way. You are called to serve these sheep and help meet their needs. And on top of that, one of your goals is to help the elders so that they can focus on the primary thing that God has called the elders to do. But there's more that we can learn from Acts 6. Verse 7 is a beautiful verse, and it's one that we often focus on when we go through this passage. And the word of God continued to increase, it says. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many priests became obedient to the faith. Because these men stepped into the role in Acts, in Acts 6, verse 7 happened. But there's more to notice than just the fact that the word of God continued to increase and multiplied greatly, and the number multiplied greatly. That's wonderful. That's easy to notice. But there's more that happened in Acts 6. John Stott notes that in Acts, you have Satan trying to attack the church. In Acts 4, you have him trying to attack through persecution. By moral corruption in Acts chapter 5. And in chapter 6, we see Satan attacking by distraction. Now this issue in Acts chapter 6, it easily could have become a much bigger deal in the church. Without spending too much time talking about who the Hellenists were, it's not hard to imagine had this gone on much longer or gone a little differently, that the church could have split or had serious bitterness set in between its members and its leaders. Yes, the deacons' physical actions were to make sure that the widows were taken care of and to serve the tables. But the unity of the church could have very easily 
been at stake had this issue continued. Yes, the deacon's physical actions were to serve the tables and make sure the widows weren't being overlooked, but their work helped preserve congregational unity. Because the twelve chose seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, these men served the church and helped preserve the unity of the church. And this is one of the reasons why the character of man being installed to a deacon is so important. A quarrelsome, contentious man does not make a good deacon. He's a lousy Christian, but he certainly makes a lousy deacon. If you have any experience with a quarrelsome deacon, then you know what I'm saying is painfully obvious. Whether he's quarreling with the elders or with the sheep, he does, he does the exact opposite of what the men in Acts chapter 6 do, which is bring peace to the church. Those men in Acts 6 bring peace to the church. And that's what a deacon does. And so the character of a deacon is of great importance. And God makes this known in 1 Timothy 3. You can turn there or it's also on the screen. After giving the qualifications for elders, Paul continues and says, Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, and not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded and faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not going to go through the list of every item in these verses, not because they're not important, but because you've heard a similar sermon in the past when we walked through this passage. The point is... These men who are going to be deacons need godly character. And what you need to understand is that any decision of whether a man has godly character is always a judgment call. It's always a judgment call. Why do I say it's a judgment call? Well, because every man is a sinner. Ben and Dave are sinners. You are a sinner. Your pastor and your elders are sinners. Do Ben and Dave sin on a daily basis? Yes, they do. Is sinning ever a dignified way to act? No. Does that mean because Ben and Dave sin that they are not dignified and therefore not fit to be deacons? Well, if that were true, then no man could ever step into the office. The point is that it's a judgment call. Your elders know that Ben and Dave sin. We're not surprised by the fact that you sin or that they sin. We are Christians who believe that Christ has died for our sins. And if you're not a Christian here, and you're overwhelmed by your sin, you can talk to us about your sin, because we as pastors, we as elders, we as a church are not surprised that you have sins. We won't be surprised even if you have really serious big sins. And if you would want to know and learn how to be forgiven of your sins, would you please talk to us after the service? But, to get back to my point, we know that everybody in this room has sins, and none of it is pretty. Nobody would like us to watch a highlight reel of your sins this week. Ben and Dave have sins, but your elders believe that the normal pattern and actions of both of these men 
and their wives as one that is dignified, full of repentance and faith, and fit for the office of deacon. These are godly men. But don't be silly, church. People can kind of get silly at times when this stuff happens, when people are installed to the office of deacon. Those of you in Ben and and Dave's small group, when you confess your sins to one another, Ben and Dave didn't get ten times godlier because we did a magic ceremony at church this Sunday and installed them as deacons. They will still be working through and repenting of the sins that they confessed to you last week. But we believe these men are godly men who are of good repute, whom you should have high respect for. Church, your elders love and have high respect for these men, and you should as well, and I know you do. We believe these are qualified men. And I want to say a quick word about verse 11. We believe their wives are dignified as well. And we know that they sin too. But Erica, Erica is one of the most thoughtful people in our church. She's incredibly helpful to your staff in thinking through things. For instance, it was her and Dave's initiative to get the cards and the gifts for the Y this past Christmas. And it was a fantastic idea. And Bonnie, Bonnie is one of the best ladies that we have at loving other women in our church. And the women of our church know this. You won't find anybody in our church who doesn't love Bonnie, and that's because she has real love for others. They are dignified. So not only do your elders have high regard for Ben and Dave, but also for Bonnie and Erica. We have high respect and honor for you guys as well. And you two women, you will play a vital role in helping your husbands fulfill the task that he has been called to. And I'm confident that you will be very helpful in this. Now, what exactly will Ben and Dave be doing for the church? Well, in many ways, they've already been doing a lot of the work that a deacon would do. And 1 Timothy 3.10 says that they should be tested first, and they've been tested in their character and in their ability to do these tasks. But here are the deacon's specific roles, and I'm not speaking comprehensively, about what the responsibilities are, but this should give you an idea. Dave is going to be our benevolence deacon, our deacon of benevolence. He'll be looking after the widows in the church. If a need arises in a family due to a trial or an illness, Dave could help in leading the efforts to care for them. If someone calls our church with a bill, an electric bill that they need paid, Dave may step in to help facilitate our church's help in that effort. He is our deacon of benevolence. And Ben will be our facilities deacon. For now, he will primarily be overseeing the setup and teardown teams and its leaders. He'll help with the truck and the trailer needs. And if we were to ever get a building, Ben would have his hands full with more responsibilities and he would help create and coordinate teams to care for different aspects of the facility. And as with most things that we do in our church, we will walk before we run. Our goal isn't to overwhelm these men week one, but as they are comfortable and grow in their roles, we'll take steps forward. And you are welcome to start going to them if you see a need that you think fits their role. For instance, if something's wrong in the children's ministry room that needs to be fixed or or it's dangerous, feel free to go to Ben and tell him about it. If he's not able to deal with it or needs help from a staff member, he can do that, but he's certainly capable 
and somebody that you can go to in these things. Your elders may even, you may come to an elder and talk to us about something and bring something to our attention. And we may say, you know, that would be a wonderful thing for you to talk to Dave about. And that wouldn't be an elder dismissing you or not caring about your concerns. Rather, that would be us sending you to the very person that God has given you and the church to help in that specific area. And I can't help tell you how excited and thankful that we as elders are to have Dave and Ben stepping into this role. Dave and Ben, I want to speak directly to you for a moment. You should not take this office lightly, but we want you to be confident because the elders unanimously agree and believe that you are the right men for the job. We believe that you are the man that God has for this role. And there are three things that I want to charge you to do. One, I want you to, I want you to keep your eyes open and to meet the tangible needs of the church and the specific avenues that you have been given to by the church. The church is not just looking for men who will do a task, who the pastors can just call when some need arises. The church needs men in this role who will not only do the task at hand, but men who love the church and are looking out for her needs. So keep your eyes and your hearts open and grow in your love for the church so that you can see your needs and help the church be at peace, potentially even before any of the complaining would happen that happened in Acts 6. Also, number two, you are to work for the unity of the church, just as the seven men did in Acts 6. Be slow to anger. Do not be contentious. Do not grumble about the work when Satan tempts you to do so. You will do the church no good if you complete all the physical tasks but you let your heart turn to stone and grumble about its members or her elders. Always work for the unity of the church. Number three, support the ministry of the elders and the pastors. It is not by accident that Paul talks about elders and, de- elders and then deacons back to back in 1 Timothy 3. You will work closely with the elders and will work with them and help them be more free for the priorities that God has given elders. Give your hearts to us as I know you already have, and help us do the work that God has for this church. And I know you will do these things. And if you do, if you do, men, there's a sweet promise that comes to the deacons in 1 Timothy 3.13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. If you... Men, serve faithfully, you will gain a good standing for yourself and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You will gain the respect from those in this room if you do your work faithfully, which is a wonderful promise to deacons because deacons, as God knows, deacons can often feel like their work goes unnoticed. And so what a great promise to give deacons. A deacon isn't up front on Sunday mornings necessarily. Lots of the work that they will do, you probably won't even see but a portion of it. But God promises that they will gain a good standing and on top of that a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And as you serve the church, as these men serve the church, 
with a good conscience, there will be a boldness and a godliness that grows in you. Much more than you are now, you will be men whom the church can point to as examples of men who serve and foster unity of the church. We will be able to point to Dave and to Ben and say, do what these men are doing. Be like these men. Now hold on to these promises from God and the church, be reminded to give your love and respect to these men anytime you find yourself reading these verses in 1 Timothy. You will likely not see much of their work, but you will reap and enjoy the good fruit that their work produces. So with that, I want to invite Josh up, and we'll start this process. Your job is to say yes to the church. And so I just want to encourage you to be very, very, very slow to say no to the leadership of men who are called to the office to serve and love the church. And so I want to see all of us, men and women and children alike, you know, as there's opportunity to meet tangible needs in the life of the church, to um, say yes to their leadership and make their leadership a joy because of that. You know, let them delight in your love for the church. Um, The second thing I want to say is, uh, you know, one of the questions that will come up is about, you know, what about women deacons? And I would just say this. We would be okay with churches that have deacons who are women on one condition, that they make it very clear that a deaconess does not have authority over a man. If they don't make that clear, then they're not functioning according to Scripture uh, properly, okay? We do not have women who are deaconesses at present. We have, we believe First Timothy 3 is emphasizing male leadership in the life of the church, both in the office of elder and deacon for many, many reasons, um, and uh, which doesn't neglect anything about older women teaching younger women and all of these important roles uh, in the life of the church. But just want to kind of answer that question for the life of the church, for how we would think about that. There are a lot of churches that have women deacons who will not say that they will not, they will not um, say that a deaconess would not have, could not have authority over a man. And uh, that's usually just a stepping stone to bring women into the leadership of the church and eventually into preaching and teaching and eldering and everything else. And so I just want to make sure we, I guard us from that reality and, and you understand how we think about that. So, but it is our joy. Ten years and longer, really. Um, you know, uh, our family moved here January 30th, I believe, 11 years ago. So uh, really longer than a decade. It is our joy. And this really is the, a dream fulfilled in God's faithfulness to us. And um, really would like to go ahead and invite Dave and Erica and Ben and Bonnie up here to the front. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Ben and Dave and for hearing our prayers for years. Uh, Lord, we pray that they would serve well as deacons. Uh, your word says, for those who serve well as deacons, gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray that this would be true of Ben and Dave, that as they serve our church, they would gain the respect of your people, as they've already been doing, and especially that it would strengthen the confidence of their faith in our Lord. We pray that these men would be effective in their roles as deacons, that they would care well for the physical needs of our church, that they would always be mindful of those who are struggling or suffering or in need, 
Lord, we pray that their work would free up the elders to better devote ourselves to prayer and ministry of the Word. Heavenly Father, strengthen these men for this task. Give them love for the church and for you that would enable them to work hard. Strengthen their wives and children's with children with faith uh, that they are serving the church when dad is gone serving the church. Help these men be full of joy and love and mercy in this work and give them unity with the elders and use them to preserve the unity of our church body. Help these men, we pray. Father, it's been such a blessing to see uh, these men grow in their godliness as they've even worked in the church in these past years. We pray, God, for their continued growth towards godliness, God, and we pray that that would be worked out in their homes mostly, God, through marriage, which you've instituted to be the uh, example uh, to us all of what, what a church is in relationship to you, God, and so we pray for their marriages as well, and um, so thankful for them, God, and the growth that we've seen. Father, we give thanks and glory to you for answering our prayers. We're thankful that you would give us two men to step into this role of what we needed for for a long time. Father, we continue to just ask that you would bless our church and answer our prayers in the ways that you've done this. Would you give our church family great love for these two men? Great thankfulness to you for giving us these two men. And would their love and respect grow for them in the years to come? Pray in Jesus' name. Father, we flee to you together for mercy. We know that the enemy prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We know that our adversary, the devil, is always at work, loves to attack church officers and their wives loves to seek to sow strife and division that um, as a church may we know with faith together and for the protection of these men and their families, uh, may we have faith to know that we wage war not against flesh and blood but against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And I pray that they would as families um, put on the armor of God day in and day out walking with faith and trust in the one true and living God and in the words of Jesus. Um, Father, protect them from the evil one. Help them to flee from temptation, from sins that so easily entangle them. Help them to flee and run from them, to mortify them, to fight against the uh, world, the flesh, and the devil. Father, help them to be found faithful to be crowned with faithfulness in the last day and give them joy in service to the bride of Christ, our dear Lord. We thank you and we praise you and we rejoice in these men and their families and in your Holy Spirit, your calling upon their life. May it bless all of us with great joy today. And may the word of God increase among us. In Jesus' name. The church said, amen, amen.